Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Animation Fascination. I'm Mark Viber, and with me again is Tom Fons. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Greg Wiseman. You may have seen most of his awesome and amazing work, and spectacular, if you want to add that in there, too. Uh, yeah. Spectacular Spider-Man, uh, Young Justice, he's going to be working on Star Wars Rebels, and who could forget, of course, Gargoyles. Gargoyles. So just a few of the, the many awesome things that he has worked on. So he'll be joining us later on in the episode. Yeah. And as always, this podcast focuses on the world of animation. Each episode, we feature an animated series or film from the past or present. Whether it's traditionally hand-drawn, computer-generated, or stop-motion, if it's animated, it's up for discussion. So with that, guys, we'll be back in a few seconds talking about our new releases for the week. we got some Doctor Who and Transformers, so we'll see you guys in a few seconds. with our new releases for the week. Uh, the first one is Doctor Who Deep Breath. Uh, Blu-ray just came out, which is the new 12th Doctor's debut episode with Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman. Uh, so Matt Smith regenerated into Peter Capaldi last year around Christmas time. Uh, did you and I talk about that? The uh, yeah, Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Did you get a chance to check this out now that you're a newly converted Whovian from the, the, the last episode <laughs> we did together with the Doctor Who? No, I haven't. I'm 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 a bad I'm a bad newly anointed Whovian. <laughs> uh, but that's that's wild that it already so the it, it's already out on Blu-ray the initial the the, the premiere episode. Yeah. That that's crazy. I mean that's that's cool. I bet fans love that. Uh, it's like like seems it seems like the opposite of how everything works with Blu-ray, especially oh, yeah. Blu-ray. You're like you're always waiting with bated breath. Like, <laughs> when when will the announcement happen? Yeah, um, that's cool. With British shows, uh, at least it seems like as soon as like maybe as soon as like that last episode is done, yeah. like that. I think their releases are on Monday in in the UK for uh, DVD and Blu-ray and CD release stuff. Uh, so, like, say Doctor Who airs on a Saturday and that's the finale for the season, that Blu-ray for that season will be out on that Monday. Wow. So that's what kind of happened last year where, like, the finale for last year leaked because people's copies that they had reviewed, or, I mean, uh, pre-ordered, got sh shipped early. So they actually <laughs> got it, like, a few days before it aired on TV and... <laughs> like the BBC was like, please do not spoil this for people that didn't order the Blu-ray yet and it oh hasn't aired on TV. But yeah, uh, but yeah, this this they actually did this in theaters too. Like they did the Day of the Doctor last year, so that was a cool thing. Me and my son went to go see that. I actually forgot I had bought tickets for it, and hmm. like right when it started, I I remembered, so we got there like half an hour late. But luckily we had watched it on TV, so but we watched the rest of the episode. And this this episode was about. 80 minutes long, so we didn't miss, you know, like half the episode at least. I only missed like about a third of it. And I, I really enjoyed this. I thought I, I'm, I'm enjoying Peter Capaldi as, as the 12th Doctor. Uh, he's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's fantastic as the Doctor. Yeah, and there's some, some cool lines in there, like with his eyebrows. He's like, these are attack eyebrows. You could take bottle caps off with them. <laughs> so, so I've been enjoying that. And there's a dinosaur in that episode. Uh, and so on, on this Blu-ray that came out, there's the, a prequel scene that's got Strax, Jenny, and uh, um, Madame Vastra, uh, who are also in the, the full episode itself. And Strax is just kind of like going over the history of the different regenerations that the Doctor has gone, been through. Uh, then there's behind the scenes, which is about 12 minutes long uh, for that first episode and like the filming for it. They used to have a thing called Doctor Who Confidential, and this is kind of like that more or less just uh, a lot shorter because those were like the same length as the episodes. They used to be like 45 minutes long. Um, and then there's Doctor Who Live, The Next Doctor. This was a special they aired last year on TV when they announced Peter Capaldi would be taking over for Matt Smith as the Doctor. 
And then the the thing I was really excited for is I missed it when it was on TV. There's a special for the uh, there's a series called The Real History of Science Fiction, hmm. uh, and they the one they did most recently was The Real History of Science Fiction for Time. And on that, I mean, they talk about Back to the Future and stuff on that. Bob Gale and uh, Zemeckis are in that episode, in the episode too. But they also talk about Doctor Who, and Stephen Moffat's on there as well, talking about the series. So that that's uh, a pretty great bonus feature to check out too. It's 45 minutes long, and just if you're like a, a fan of time travel in general, that's a kind of a cool little like special to check out. But yeah, that's what's what's on here. Uh, and I guess if you missed it for whatever reason on TV a few weeks ago, you can pick up the blu-ray already too and i think the full season eight blu-ray is going to be coming out in november which is a few weeks after season eight ends on tv so i would definitely recommend checking it out if you've not seen it yet uh the next one we're gonna be talking about uh tom i know did you watch you watch beast wars right oh yeah beast wars big time um yeah that that was that that hit right at the at the right time for myself i was like 11 or 12 so well yeah it was it was sort of the tail end it was like right it was probably the last vestige of my like toy and cartoon combined uh uh, fascinations uh but yeah no beast wars was great i haven't seen beast machines though yeah it's sequel series beast machines uh that was only had 26 episodes uh, Shot Factory just released the complete series on DVD, and and actually, unlike most of the, at least most of the ones I've gotten from Shot Factory, uh, this one actually has a few bonus features on it. There's a, a few interviews on there with the cast and creators of the show, and then there's a few commentaries actually on a few episodes too. So uh, those are were pretty cool to check out and, and listen to to see where they wanted to go with the show. Had it got to go on for like another season or, or so, but yeah, the the CG on this show is like a step up from Beast Wars. It was kind of getting to the point, you know, like where like CG animation on TV could actually, you know, not look like reboot all the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it was. If you're a fan of Transformers, it's another one worth checking out, and I. Uh, I would say, like like you, if you had seen Beast Machines, definitely try to find this and check it out. I mean, it, it is only 26 episodes, uh, and I think it's, it's only 11 and a half hours, so you could watch that in half a day. Boom. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, so those, those are our two new reviews for the week. Uh, so with that, we'll be back in a few seconds with our new Travelers-ish uh, section. So I'll see you guys in a few seconds. guys we're back with the new trailers for the week well trailers ish uh section didn't really have that many new trailers so it's kind of be talking about a few of these clips that have been released recently the the first one is a clip from an upcoming episode of the ultimate spider-man series uh and our our community alum uh tom fonts as you, <laughs> as you may know, uh, Donald Glover, there was a whole campaign for him to, to be Spider-Man yes. back around season two. Right. Uh, which was awesome. And actually, I noticed if you guys go back and watch the first Amazing Spider-Man film with uh, Andrew Garfield, on, it might have been the first one or it could be the second one. It might be bleeding together in my head. Uh, on Peter Parker's like corkboard in his room, there's a picture of Donald Glover. <laughs> Oh wow! So I don't know if that was like a nice, like kind of like slight wink to like the the whole campaign, but I thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh, but but anyways, Donald Glover is finally getting to play Spider-Man. That's great. Uh, and it's actually based on a character that he inspired uh, when Brian Michael Bendis saw that whole thing going on with the campaign for Donald Glover to be Spider-Man, inspired him to create the character of Miles Morales for the Ultimate Spider-Man comic book series. Uh, 
when spoiler alert peter parker died in that universe uh so it's it's cool now that donald glover is going to be the first person to because this is actually the first time miles morales is going to be in anything any uh, medium other than the comics so it'll be cool for donald glover to now be voicing miles in the special episode of ultimate spider-man where he's from an alternate universe where peter parker's dead and, and he's the ultimate spider-man have yeah, you had a chance oh go ahead no, no, I was going to say, that's really exciting, because I, I, with, with actors playing Spider-Man, I, I feel like they haven't yet, they've, like, people have done good jobs with certain aspects of Peter Parker and Spider-Man, or whatever, but no one's really nailed the quippiness of Spider-Man yet. I, even even uh, Andrew Garfield, great, great Spider-Man, yeah. um, but even still, it's not quite, like, it's not quite there and I, I think Donald Glover could just nail that aspect of it for sure. Um, so I'm excited to see it. Have you had a chance to check out the, this clip yet? Yes, it looks um, it was amazing. And uh, yeah, I can't just I, I want more. Yeah, that, that, that's all I, I, I have to say about that is I like, I want more. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a spinoff version. That'd be uh, cool. I'm really looking forward to the Spider-Verse storyline on on the ultimate spider-man show it's like a four i think it's like a four or five part episode run that they're gonna gonna be doing uh so i'm really looking forward to that because he's going to be meeting a spider girl uh peter porker spider ham uh spider knight uh spider-man 2099 spider-man noir and then you know miles morales ultimate spider-man too so I'm definitely really looking forward to those episodes a lot. Yeah. I, I think two of them already aired in the UK. Those lucky UKers. <laughs> but yeah, definitely looking forward to that. And I like the the little joke in there where, he, where Miles Morales is like, uh, I'm 13, almost 14 in 11 months. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, liked, I liked his weird pronunciation of... Like before, he's like he's not finishing the word dead, oh, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, we're definitely in for that episode. So, and then uh, they just released a new back to school ad for Big Hero Six Two that showed a few more uh, like images from the film that we hadn't seen yet. Uh, we can see like the the team getting scanned by Hero for the, for their Big Hero Six suits, uh, so we can three D print them out and. <laughs> Yeah, I've just I liked all the TV spots we've been getting for Big Hero Six so far. How about you? Yeah, I'm really excited to see it. Um, and yeah, and this last spot just seemed kind of like a big, compil best of compilation of of all the moments that we've seen, and then a couple of new ones. But uh, but yeah, I, I'm definitely excited to see this see this movie. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm liking the amount of advertiser we're getting for this is because i remember like last year for frozen i mean it seemed to work out for them obviously with it being the most it's doing the best of the box office the, of all yeah time for animated films biggest uh, thing of all yeah. time whatever but, <laughs> yeah but with that we didn't get that many like tv spots or trailers before it came out so it, it's cool that they're doing that for big hero six yeah for sure but yeah, guys, so those are our new trailers for the week-ish, uh, and we'll be back in a few seconds with our recommendations. Okay, guys, and we are back with our recommendations for the week. Uh, for mine this week, I want we're kind of doing some self-plugging with mine at least for you guys to check out. Uh, so we've told you about our 3D printing file that you can go to Thingiverse and check out for Baymax. Uh, so uh, what our what Matt Quest did recently was he attached it to his drone uh, DJI Phantom helicopter that he has. And he he flew it around outside near near his <laughs> his house, uh, so it's uh, Bruce Wright from Walt Disney Animation challenged, <laughs> slightly challenged us to see if if he could fly, so Matt was like challenge accepted, 
and then <laughs> and then we proceeded to shoot this video and post it up on our YouTube page. But yeah, you guys can check it out. It's it's, it's pretty fun to check out. Uh, I'm flying in the air, and and at one point you get, uh, Matt switched him so that he's on the side, so it looks like he's doing the Superman fisting <laughs> out front and flying around. The footage looks really cool too. So if you guys haven't checked it out yet, definitely go check that out now. And while you're there, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel too, because we'll be adding some more stuff, uh, you know, as time goes on. So definitely go check that out, guys. That's great. How about you, Tom? What do you want? Uh, well, week? my recommendation uh, it's it's getting to be that time of the year, my favorite time of the year, Halloween. The uh, well, I mean, it's it's still early, but there's there is a Halloween candy section in grocery stores now so i i feel like i can talk about halloween and be excited but not be that guy you know the person that has their decorations up uh right after labor day but um uh yeah so my recommendation is daffy duck's quack busters which is um is a 1988 looney tunes compilation of shorts that are all kind of kind of spooky horror theme but they're all really really good uh, the first one in particular, The Night of the Living Duck, is uh, really, really good. It's, it's uh, yeah, and that, without giving too much away, it's, you know, it's Daffy Duck, uh, if I remember correctly, reading a bunch of comics, and then he kind of, he dozes off, and he, he goes into this weird world where it's like all of these classic monsters in sort of a lounge singer setting, like sort of a, not a cabaret, but just sort of like a smoky club, you know, uh, uh, 1930s or 40s lounge situation. Uh, it's it's really cool. If you haven't seen it, it's it's uh, it's yeah, it's kind of a classic. It, I, it's uh, it's. I don't really, think I've ever really actually cool. seen this. Oh really? You haven't seen it? I mean, yeah, maybe it's not as known as I would. I mean, I, I watched that a lot as a kid. Um, but it, yeah, so I don't know. It may not be as known as 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 I think it is. Uh, but yeah, Daffy Duck's Quackbusters. It's not on Netflix Instant. Um, you can find it on YouTube for sure, or no or any uh, or like Daily Motion or so, somewhere online that the someone's uploaded it. Some some helpful fan, oh, yeah. and uh, yeah, but it's it's really good. Yeah, if you're a Looney Tunes fan, or if you're like a Halloween or horror fan, uh, I'd definitely check it out. Definitely. Oh, speaking of that, someone actually just added the entire. Uh, animated Beatles TV series to YouTube recently too. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys haven't seen that before, I would say check that out too. Wow. Uh so yeah, guys, that's those are our recommendations for the week. Definitely check those out. So coming up next, we're going to be interviewing Mr. Greg Wiseman. So guys, stay tuned and look forward to that and he'll give us some recommendations at the end of his interview as well. So stay tuned, guys. All right, and we're into our main topic for the, the day. We're going to be interviewing Mr. Greg Wiseman. Thank you again for coming on, sir. Happy to be here. So, Greg, you were an English composition and writing teacher, so like writing and storytelling was you know, probably always in your blood. But was animation always a passion of yours? Is that where you know? Did you know that you wanted to end up there, or was it sort of a happy accident? I think it was more of a happy accident. I mean, I always loved animation, um, but I didn't particularly set out be in animation. I uh, definitely uh, was interested in being in television. Gotcha. And uh, I interviewed, uh, I had been in comics for a few years, and I was actually at grad school, uh, in grad school at USC, um, where my emphasis was actually in playwriting. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, I was went on a number of interviews and one of them was with a guy named Gary Kreisel who was uh, at the time head of all television at Disney. Um, but what he knew and I didn't know at the time was that uh, um, he had recently started up a division for Walt Disney Television Animation. And he liked my background because on the one hand I had this sort of liberal arts background I'd studied 
in Oxford, at Stanford and Oxford. I studied Shakespeare and all this stuff. But I uh, also, you know, had written for comic books. So, you know, I think he liked that sort of classical education combined with uh, with the obvious evidence that I wasn't going to look down my nose at working in cartoons. Right, um, yeah. And so that combination worked for him, and he and I hit it off. And um, I still had a year more of grad school to finish, but... Um, when we were done, uh, when I was done, I should say, uh, Gary and Bruce Cranston gave me a job at, uh, um, at Walt Disney Television Animation, which is how I got my start there. I'd actually written one animation script prior to that. When I was at DC Comics, I had a writing partner named Carrie Bates, and we uh, together uh, wrote one episode of Gem and the Holograms. Um, oh, wow. But uh, it's pretty cool. it hadn't led to anything. So I wasn't particularly at that time considering myself an animation writer per se. I had written one script. It was my first TV credit. And I'm obviously glad it happened and everything. But uh, um, it didn't really lead to anything beyond that. Um, so I think that, you know, when I started at TV animation, it was basically like starting fresh. Wow. So now that that you're with within the animation industry, are, are there inspirations uh, of people that you take from, or shows in general, or you just kind of go from outside the animation yeah animation industry as for your inspiration? Well, I have influences from all over, um, including animated shows. Although my reference points are probably a lot older than a lot of your audiences are. Um, you know, for me, I'm talking about Johnny Quest or Herculoids or um, Space Ghost, kind of, um, and not Space Ghost Coast to Coast, right. but the original <laughs> Space Ghost. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, influences, for example, on gargoyles included everything from gummy bears to um, Hill Street Blues. Um, so, you know, we have... Uh, we get our influences from all over the place, I, I would think. Um, I, I admittedly am not watching a ton of current cartoons, which isn't a judgment. It's more like, hey, you know, I do this every day, right. hours a week. Um, I need a little break. But I still watch The Simpsons and enjoy it. And uh, my son and I just finished season three of Avatar The Last Airbender, nice. which was, right. you know, terrific. And, um, <laughs> but, you know... I, I'm not shy about, you know, obviously Shakespeare's a major influence for me and um, in all my stuff, and so is Faulkner and, and a lot of other things as well. I, you know, I'm not shy from pulling from all over the place, basically. Yeah, I, so I guess specific to writers, yeah, I mean, Gargoyles and Spectacular Spider-Man, they're both, you know, very... Shakespearean gargoyles, especially. Um, but I guess maybe with like specific writers, so Shakespeare is huge. Are there contemporary writers that that you're reading right now, whether it be novelists or or comic book writers or or even TV writers? I know you said you don't watch a lot of uh, cartoon uh, cartoons at all, but uh, are there like specific to writers? Are there writers that maybe not maybe they're not influencing you, but you're like, oh, I, oh, I I'm liking their work, or it's or it's you know interesting you. Well, I mean, I watch a lot of television. Without a yeah. A lot of live action television. Um, you know, uh, I just started trying out Outlander. Um, and uh, I, you know, about to watch, to start watching. I haven't, I recorded it. I haven't watched it yet. The last season of, uh, or the first episode of the last season of Sons of Anarchy. Um, I, uh, really watch way too much television <laughs> but uh, don't we all but, yeah uh but you know and i'm also watching uh been really enjoying me tv a lot recently and watching a lot of uh old stuff um my wife and i are sort of re-watching the andy griffith show and oh wow uh, watching cheers and and stuff. yeah so and for me that's just a lot of great television and I'll be influenced by any and all of that I suppose I mean not necessarily consciously right um, but 
you know, the, the books I've been reading tend to be uh, mystery novels, detective novels, um, you know, in terms of my free time or uh, kind of thing. Um, so I just reread uh, uh, Mad Showall and Pear Wallow's uh, Martin Beck Mysteries. They wrote 10 mysteries in the 70s, um, set in Sweden, um, and they're police procedurals and mystery stories, and they're great. And I'd read them long ago, but I reread them for uh, the hell of it over the summer. Oh, wow. And really enjoyed them. I like um, Michael Connolly's books um, and uh, Walter Mosley. Um, if you're going back further, I'm a huge fan of um, Ross MacDonald, big fan of Ross MacDonald, but I also like, you know, Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett and James M. Cain and um, and I don't like him as much, but, you know, there are other, you know, I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan, and I like nice. a lot of what Agatha Christie wrote and that kind of thing. So I'm kind of a mystery buff. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it all goes into the pot, so to speak. Right. Um, R- related but not related. Uh, going back to Gargoyles, I had read that Gargoyles in its early stages was kind of less of a dark drama and more of a comedy. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's so interesting to imagine that now after seeing the series, but can you speak at all to what that version of Gargoyles was like? Is there a, a cartoon comedy yeah, that you can liken it to? The model for it was, at the time, Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears. Huh. Um, we set out to do a comedy adventure show um, like Gummy Bears. Gummy Bears created by a, a really talented guy named Jim Magon. Um, and we thought that was an amazing show, and we thought it didn't get enough respect because it was one of the few original properties on the air. Uh, and I mean, there's uh, we sort of literally sort of sat down to analyze why it wasn't getting the kind of positive feedback that we thought it deserved because it had this great medieval setting and this great backstory and these fantastic characters, and it was funny. Right. Um, and full of energy and all these great things, um, full of action, you know, great comic villains and all sorts of stuff. And we're like, why the hell isn't this show popping more? Right. It did well, don't get me wrong, but it just didn't seem to pop for, um, for us. And we looked at it very carefully and we came up with um, one major reason, which was that um, I'm sure there were many possible reasons, but the major reason we thought was that it was being confused um, with another show that was on the air at the same time called Care Bears, and it was an easy-to-understand confusion because, um, on the one hand, uh, Care Bears also featured multicolored bears, right? Um, and Care Bears was this sort of saccharine, sweet television series that at least as an adult, it was kind of unbearable to watch. Gummy <laughs> Bears was something, you know, kids and adults of all ages, we thought, could watch. Yeah. Um, and yet, even though that was the show that was saccharine and sweet, our show was named literally after a candy. So <laughs> uh, between those things, we thought it was easy for the confusion to come. And we also thought it wasn't a particularly edgy or current property set in the past. So we made a conscious decision to develop something along the lines of gummy bears that we thought would, A, get more respect, and B, be a little more edgy, a little more contemporary, a little more current. So instead of small, multicolored bears, we created small, multicolored gargoyles. (laughs) Um, We thought gargoyles is edgier than bears. And instead of setting it in medieval times, we had this backstory in medieval times and we had the gargoyles fall asleep for a thousand years and wake up in the modern world. So that you had these little medieval mischievous creatures waking up in the 20th century and having these comedy adventures, much like gummy bears. We thought the combination of the contemporary setting and the fact that they were gargoyles instead of bears would be enough to create an edgier show that would pop a little more, get more attention, and, and have a more contemporary feel to it. Wow. So, which all makes great logical sense until you're literally standing up to pitch it in front of uh, 
Michael Eisner, and he just says no. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> but we really thought we had something there. We really liked the idea. I liked the idea. My bosses liked the idea. We really thought we had something. So um, I, uh, we decided to redevelop it, to try again. So I brought in a number of people who hadn't seen the pitch yet, including um, Tad Stones, the creator of uh, Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, um, and, you know, writer, producer, storyboard artist on a number of great animated shows. Um, and Tad came in, and Tad, you know, didn't work on Gargoyles, but he had one major contribution to it, which is he took a look at the pitch and he said, well, you know, there's this movie Disney made. It's kind of a big deal. It's called Beauty and the Beast. Um, and what if instead of having a bunch of little gargoyles, you had one big gargoyle? You know, we had a human female character who was friends to the gargoyles. Um, that was already in the story. Um, she went by a bunch of different names across the years of development because we started developing this thing in 1991 and didn't finally sell it until 1993. So over the years, the characters went through numbers of name changes. Um, but that really clicked for me. And, of course, my background is comic books and superhero comic books specifically. So I created the Goliath character, um, and Greg Guler created the visual for the character. And we took the entire comedy adventure series and put it through the prism of Goliath. Tad had suggested, don't have all these gargoyles, just have a gargoyle. And I right. just felt like, no, I want to do all these gargoyles. I just uh, wanted, we were changing the tone of the show. So so we had a bunch of little gargoyles with names like Amp and Coco and Lassie and Ralph and stuff like that. And they came out the other end as Brooklyn, Lexington, Broadway, and Hudson. <laughs> um, and we had a comedic villain sort of in the Captain Hook, Duke Igthorn mode. Um, called Xavier, and he came out the other end as the character that became Xanatos. And we had an evil gargoyle named Dakota, uh, who we changed to Demona. Um, and we then pretty much developed the show that you saw on the air. Wow. Um, and we created a big pitch for it, and we loved the show, and we had all these ideas, hundreds of ideas for this show. We put them all in the pitch, and we took them to Michael Eisner, and he said, pass. Uh -huh. um, but Jeffrey Katzenberg liked the show so he told us to work on it some more and we went back to the drawing board now for a third time to sort of say okay what do we want to change about the show and we finally we looked at it really carefully and decided we didn't want to change anything about the show we loved the show what we wanted to change then if we weren't going to change the show was the pitch so we had sort of thrown everything in the kitchen sink into the previous pitch and this time we really narrowed it down. We focused it on the Goliath-Elisa relationship, the Beauty and the Beast relationship. Um, all the stuff that we cut out of the pitch still eventually, in one form or another, found its way into the show. Because um, we didn't change the show. Right. But we really honed the pitch down. It was a much shorter pitch that last time. And we took it into Eisner, and that time he bought it. Nice. Wow. And um, and that's how we sold our Very cool. Uh, and, and now it's celebrating its 20th anniversary this year, too. So congrats that's to that, right. too. Thank uh, you. And how have all the celebrations for that gone so far that you've been taking part in? Uh, well, that's just been a blast. I mean, A, it's an excuse for for a lot of old friends to get together and just have some fun. Um and, uh, you know, and we do these panels. So I'm, I've done, I think, five panels across five different conventions across the country um, celebrating Gargoyle's 20th anniversary. We've got actually a, a sixth and what sounds like it's probably going to be the last uh, 20th anniversary um, celebration uh, Saturday the 27th of September at Long Beach Comic Con. Um, I'll be there. Um, so we'll, uh, uh, Frank Parr, who was the other producer on the show, uh, Dave Schwartz, who was development art director, Vic Cook, storyboard artist, and Alisa Gabrielli, uh, who was the voice of Obsidiana, 
um, and we'll probably have some more guests. Those are the ones I've confirmed so far. Um, and, you know, so we'll do another panel and meet the fans. You know, we, we filled a, a really big room at San Diego Comic-Con and had to turn a couple hundred people away. Oh, man. We filled the biggest room they have at Denver Comic-Con um, and the biggest, you know, uh, room they have at, uh, at Convergence in Minneapolis. And it's just been a blast. We've had a really good time celebrating uh, the, the premiere of... Uh, the world premiere of Gargoyles was uh, September 29th, 1994 in Orlando, Florida. So we're closing in on the actual 20th anniversary date, but we've been celebrating it all year long. Awesome. So, uh, another great show that you worked on was was Young Justice the, more recently, and we just finally got the, the first season on Blu-ray thanks to Warner Archive. I remember seeing that, that, that cool picture of you holding the... the announcement for and i got really excited uh if ultimately what would you have liked to can you share like what you would have liked to see in a, a season three had you guys got to do that yeah i won't share that okay <laughs> but it just you kind know, of really uh, cool yeah i mean brandon and i brandon vietti and i who were the two producers on the show had a lot of great ideas for season three that we hope to use someday for Young Justice. We don't know how, we don't know when, there's no current plans. I don't want to mislead anybody into thinking that, hey, we're secretly in the works on something. We're not. I wish we were. Um, but uh, we do have hope to come back to it someday. So we, the two of us talked it over and we just decided we're not going to spoil anything for season three because we have, we have hope that we'll get back to it. We both really want to do it. Awesome. I, I like the I, when I was watching, I liked the cameo that Josh Keaton had as, as the black spider, too. I thought that, that was a nice little nod to Spectacular Spider-Man as well. Yeah, I, you know, it's fun for us to do that because um, I produce Spectacular Spider-Man with Josh, obviously, as Spidey. And um, so when we decided to do the black spider character, who else could I have play it but Josh? You know? <laughs> so, um, that was a lot of fun. And this is almost embarrassing at this point, but I'm going to, I should mention that we're also doing a young justice panel and a spectacular Spider-Man panel uh -huh. at Long Beach Comic Con. And we've got like 16 guests on each panel. Oh, man. Um, wow. Including artists, actors, um, writers, um, producers, directors, everything. So, wow. Now I wish I lived in Long Beach so I could go check that out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, and with Young Justice and Spectacular Spider-Man, both uh, have had, like, this really devoted fandom that have risen up for about, for both of them. How has that has touched you as, like, working as a producer and writer and both of those as people being such a fan of your work? Oh, that's just very gratifying. I mean, you know, when you're working in these shows, um, you're very much in a vacuum, particularly during, you know, the production of the first season. And all you can do really is be passionate about it by writing the kind of show you'd like to see. So whether it's Gargoyles or Spider-Man or Witch or Young Justice or Star Wars Rebels, all we can do, those of us who are working on these shows, is just feel, you know, this is a show I'd like to see. This is what I'd like to have uh, if I were in the audience. Because um, you have to be passionate about it. Because if you, and then you just cross your fingers that enough people out there agree with you that so that when it gets on the air, people like it. Um, you can't do too much second guessing because if you're not passionate about what you're making, then there's no passion in the project and, and that will show through and it won't please anybody. Um, but if you feel good about what you're making and, you're, uh, and, and you feel like this is the show I want to make, and the, what I've found in my experience is the odds are pretty good that other people are going to agree and going to like it. And, um, but it's always, you know, really nice to actually get that confirmed <laughs> because you never know. You know, it's very nerve-wracking before a show goes on the air as to whether or not people are going to, how people are going to respond. That's particularly true when you're, uh, you know, on Gargoyles we at least had the uh, – you know, on the one hand, it's difficult to do a non-marquee property, an original property, and hope that people 
tune in and want to watch it. But it's also really tough um, on a property like Spectacular Spider-Man or Young Justice where you're adapting um, from an existing canon and, you know, you never know. People could look at your version of Spider-Man and say, uh, this is not a very good version. This isn't Spidey and that kind of thing or, um, or not like Young Justice because it's not their version of Young Justice. And there are always going to be a couple people like that. But in general, we've been, you know, the, the, the teams that I've worked with on both those shows, you know, I guess we hit it well enough because we, we have, continue to have, a pretty substantial fan base for both shows definitely and i I, lo- I love both of those shows as well just because well because i enjoy them but also i can watch them with my eight-year-old son and he enjoys them just as much as i do so i like being able to you know ha- have a show like that that speaks to me just as much as it speaks to my eight-year-old son so thank you for that too well and for me that's always the goal you know is to write on levels so that we're not writing in such a way that the eight-year-old or the six-year-old is disincluded. There's plenty of eye candy for someone of that age and plenty of exciting stories and, and stuff like that. But there's also material in there um, for, you know, teenager or college student, an adult, um, a parent, you know. And that's the way we like to write these shows so that there's something there for everybody no one's disincluded in what's going on, um, but it works on levels so that even the oldest members of the audience can enjoy it, even the youngest members of the audience can enjoy it, male, female, you know, ethnically yeah. diverse audience is what we're looking for. And we always have a target audience, and for these action shows, they're usually boys 6 to 11, at least traditionally they've been boys 6 to 11. But I've never been satisfied with only getting that segment of the audience. I have to get that segment of the audience because that's, in essence, who pays the bills. Right. Um, but in addition to getting those uh, boys 6 to 11, I want girls 6 to 11. I want kids who are even younger than that, frankly. And I want boys and girls of, of all ages in there. So um, we make a conscious effort to... Uh, again, try and write something that we would enjoy, um, and try to write something that um, works for everybody. Sure. Uh, we we had one uh, fan actually sent in a question. Uh, Michael Lee he asked, assuming all legal logistics were taken care of and not and didn't have to be worried about, uh, would you and all your producing and writing partners ever consider bringing either Spectacular Spider-Man or Young Justice to Netflix? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a sort of silly hypothetical because, you know, what you're talking about is 50 different things having to fall into place. But absolutely, you know, love Spectacular Spider-Man, would love to make more episodes of that, loved Young Justice, would love to make more episodes of that. And as I said earlier, we haven't given up on that. Um, You know, I haven't given up on making more Gargoyles. That show's been off the air for 18 years, and I haven't given up, so I'm sure not giving up on Spectacular or Young Justice. Um, That'd be great to see a Gargoyles feature film. That'd be cool. It would be. (laughs) (laughs) You hear that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, you know, we're, we're, I'm constantly checking to see if we can, either in comic book form or television or whatever, uh, features whatever you know i'd love to bring that stuff back and, and sure. do more of it and again that's the reason why we don't give spoilers for season three of spectacular spider-man or season three of young justice yeah. and i did give spoilers for season three of uh, gargoyles for years and i've stopped because you know i got to do gargoyles comics and a lot of the things i did i'd spoiled um <laughs> And so now, you know, I've sort of stopped doing that, too, because I hope to come back to Gargoyles as well. So um, it's because of that that, yeah, I don't give spoilers, but it's because, you know, we hope to come back to these properties someday. Definitely. When, when I had heard they announced the, the Spider-Verse thing that they were going to be doing, uh, and then they, I guess they were ultimately going to be doing it on the Ultimate Spider-Man show, I, th- I would have thought that would have been really awesome had they had all the different 
animated incarnations of Spider-Man show up on that show too. That would have been that would have been a cool way to you know show show spectacular Spider-Man alongside you know, like the '90s Spider-Man and '67 and like that maybe even the MTV version, but uh, a fan's dream. <laughs> <laughs> a great. Yeah, I mean, you know, that sounds fun to me too. But obviously, uh, I don't know who's those are decisions way above my pay grade. So right. <laughs> Now, Greg, you've—I mean—you've kind of done everything. You like you—you a playwright, a TV writer, a comic book writer, uh, a novelist, and they're all, I assume, you know, pretty different experiences. I like TV writing is very collaborative and like a sort of a pressure cooker because you're under a deadline. And a novel, I'd assume, would be a little—you know—it uh, would be sort of a singular, sort of a solitude to the experience. Do you have? A preference in terms of all those mediums. I mean, obviously, you've done a a huge amount of TV work, so you must enjoy it. Uh, but is the, is there a sort of a second favorite that oh, I I love doing this, if if not writing for TV? Um, no, I mean, I don't have a preference other than I like to earn a living. Uh, right. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I, I don't actually feel like a guy who's done it all. I mean, you know, I wrote a play. For right. And, and, you know, a bunch of college students would put it up one night. You know, we did one production of it because that was my, in essence, graduate school thesis. Um, but I hardly call myself a playwright, um, certainly not a working playwright. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've never written, uh, I've written movies, but none got made. And I've uh, written some live action stuff, but none got made. I've never worked in live action again, not professionally. Um, so I, you know, I've basically done, if you really want to narrow it down, I've done three things. Um, mm-hmm. I've written animated cartoons, I've written comic books, and more recently I've written novels. Um, I, what you described is very accurate. You know, for example, during the first season of Star Wars Rebels, I was writing my second novel. And on one level, it was great uh, because... Uh, television, animation in particular, is a very collaborative medium, um, but also, like you said, kind of a pressure cooker. And um, you're getting notes from all sorts of sources, and um, and you're making compromises with other creative people. Um, and I think what's great about that is, you know, you wind up with something that's greater than the sum of, of your parts. You know, if I work with Brandon Vietti on Young Justice or Dave Filoni on Star Wars Rebels um, or Big Cook on Spider-Man, you know, you'll get something better from the two of us than you would have gotten from any any one of us. Right. Um, and so it's great, but it also means that sometimes you don't get to run with your first instinct. Right. So, you know, I'd be writing on Rebels, and then I'd hit a wall on something or just get frustrated, and so I'm like, I'm going to take a break. And I'd jump over to writing Spirits of Ash and Foam, which was my second novel. And um, and there, I'm it's just me. And right. So there's, on one level, it's a great relief, but it's also a lot more pressure because I'm used to writing dialogue that an actor is going to make it good. Well, right. I'm writing a book. There's no actor to make it good. It actually has to be good. <laughs> right. And if I'm, you know, I've got artists literally painting, um, you know, in a cartoon, uh, pictures out of my words. Well, if I'm on a page in the novel, I've got to paint that picture with the words. Even from the standpoint of music, you know, I'm used to having music help me set the mood. So I had to find some way in prose to compensate for the lack of having a musical score. Um, right. And it's all on me. And that is exciting and energizing and scary as hell. <laughs> um, so I, you know, wind up writing on that for a while and then hit some wall. And I'm like, you know, if I hit a wall, usually on, on a show, I can call someone and say, Hey, what do you want to do with this? You know, and we can talk it out. And I, well, on the novel, it's just me. So there's, Right. I hit a wall, I have to work my way through it. So, you know, it was nice if I hit a wall doing my thing. Let me jump back to the show for a little while. Right. Um, and, you know, 
hopefully while I'm away, it'll percolate and I'll figure something out to solve the problem. And that actually worked very well. Now, you know, I was on the deadline for the book as well as multiple different deadlines for the show. Um, and that's tough. Um, right. When I started writing the second book, I was actually unemployed. So, you know, I had one target for when I thought I'd finish. And then I got the job on Rebels, which, by the way, I'm not complaining about. But um, <laughs> uh, obviously, suddenly, you know, that I went from, you know, being unemployed and only working on the novel to having a full-time job on Star Wars and having to uh, sort of fit the novel in between Star Wars deadlines, and that was challenging. Um, but, you know, I think they both uh, turned out great. Spirits, uh, my first book, Reign of the Ghosts, I'm pimping my books now. I apologize. <laughs> but my first book, uh, Reign of the Ghosts, um, came out uh, last December, and then the second book in the series, Spirits of Ashen Foam, uh, came out uh, in July. I'm very proud of both books. They're both available on Amazon or any other bookseller website, or you can go into any bookstore, and if it's not literally on the shelf the day you walk in the door, you can go to the front desk and order it. They'll order it for you. Um, awesome. Very proud of both books, and I think if, you know, if your listeners like my stuff on any of these shows that we've been talking about, Gargoyles, Rebels, uh, um, Young Justice, Spider-Man, which... Um, you know, uh, I think they'll like these books as well. And, uh, definitely. And so I uh, hope they all buy them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely put links to them too. I want to check. I'm interested in checking them out as well. That'd be great. Uh, so, so to kind of go along with what what Tom asked you. Uh, you've written on, on a lot of different series, short films with like different tones and characters. What have been some of like your favorite and most fun characters or, or scenes that you've had the chance to, to write for and or do? Oh, uh, you know, I, I have, uh, episodes that I think turned out really sweet. Um, at all, you know, pretty much every studio. I, I'm very proud of the Gargoyles episode, the mirror. I didn't write that personally, but that was one of the show episodes I produced. And, um, I'm proud of all the episodes that we did on those first two seasons, but uh, that one in particular, I think, really sort of hits all the, cool. you know, sort of firing on all cylinders, so to speak. Likewise, there's an episode of Young Justice that we did called uh, Misplaced that I did write myself, and which I just think also turned out really great. And probably every series I've worked on, there's there's at least one or two that I'm particularly proud of. And yet at the same time, you know, the thing I'm proudest of is the level of quality of each series as a whole. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's like I said, it, it's a great medium to work with. I work with great people. I've got, I've had phenomenal partners on every show that I've ever produced. Um, never done it alone. And, uh, you know, I've been very grateful for the career I've had. Awesome. So we know that you can't basically say anything about Star Wars Rebels other than you're, you're working on this series, but was it always a dream to work with in that universe in, in some way? Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I, just so your viewers know why I can't say I've signed a non-disclosure agreement. The show hasn't premiered yet, so I'm not allowed to talk about it. Um, but yeah, you know, working on Star Wars was a dream come true. I was working with um, terrific people, including um, my fellow executive producers, uh, Dave Filoni and Simon Kinberg, and a truly phenomenal voice cast um, that included Vanessa Marshall, Steve Bloom, Freddie Prince Jr., um, Kia Sirkar, and, and Taylor Gray. Uh, those are the five leads, um, and there was a great supporting cast of, uh, as well doing voices, the voice um, the voice process on that show was the most fun part of all and um, and just a terrific cast and I had a, a blast working on that show. But you're right, pretty much other than that, I can't say anything. <laughs> it premieres this fall, I can say that. They've shown a few of the shorts that we did on, I think, Disney XD or maybe Disney Channel, I can't remember actually, but uh, um, actually, four short teasers and they're all available online. Yeah. 
Um, and I wrote a couple of those, and um, I think they just turned out really great. And you can watch those. If you like that, you're going to love this series because it, it's all that plus more. Awesome. I actually just got an invite to, to go see uh, Spark of the Rebellion uh, in a theater, so I'm really excited to check that out. It'll be cool to see yeah, that. Yeah, it, it is very cool. I mean, Simon wrote that, and it's great. Awesome. (laughs) You're really great. Uh, So I I don't know if then if I can even ask if someone someone wanted me to ask if uh, now that the universe is all connected from from now on and everything will be canon, uh, did that did that make it easier or harder to to write for the series at all? Again, I can't. I can't any kind of detail about it without permission from Lucasfilm, which okay. I don't think we managed to get. So, um, No worries. You know, I, I'll just say I had a blast working on the series, and uh, beyond that, that, you know, we kind of have to let it go. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, with, there's Gargoyles, Young Justice, and the Spectacular Spider-Man, you've had all these great projects that uh, that have ended, at least for, for us fans, too soon. Is there one in particular that you are like, oh man, when I get the chance to go back to that, I'm that's the one? Or do they kind of all hold an equal place in your in your heart in terms of projects that you'd like to return to? Um, I'd like to return to all of them, but yeah. there's no doubt that Gargoyles is my baby. Um, yeah. Created the show. I was on it from beginning to end, I mean, uh, of those first two years. Um, and first two seasons, I should say. It was more than two years. It was um, five years. But uh, then when we brought that back in comic book form, I wrote every issue. Um, that's my baby. So if, if uh, on the, in the incredible hypothetical where suddenly every studio came to me and said, um, you can do anything you want. Right. But you can only pick <laughs> one thing, you know. Yeah. Um, then it would be gargoyles. But right. uh, short of that startling, um, <laughs> you know, development, um, right. basically, uh, you know, I would go back to any of those three shows. I'd also throw in Witch, which I had a really great time working on. I did the second season of Witch, and I'd love to go back to that one uh, as well. Um, because there were just a lot more stories to tell for all of those four series. Um, and, uh, you know, you never get enough. Um, so, you know, if any one of them came back, I'd jump at the chance. Right, for sure. <laughs> uh, and, and I know you've done a, a, some, some voice work. What, what kind of led to that? Was it just like scratch work initially, and then they just kept it, or you, you just wanted to... <laughs> No, it was me being obnoxious, actually. Um, uh, I have only done voice work. shows my level of ability as an actor, probably. Um, but I've only done voice work on shows where I was the boss and and I could say that I was doing it, and no one could tell me no. <laughs> so uh, it, it, uh, it's... And I, but I'm trying to be smart about it. So, for example, I, I don't cast myself as the Batman because there's no way in hell I'm good enough to play Batman, you know, kind of thing. So I try to choose parts that I feel are within my limited range of ability as an actor so that I, you know, I would never sacrifice um, the show for the sake of my own ego. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, I think Donald Mankin, which I played on Spectacular Spider-Man, um, who was sort of the officious assistant to um, Norman Osborn was a role right in my pocket that I could do and do well. Um, and Lucas Carr, who was the kind of cool teacher at the local high school in Young Justice, was another one that I thought I could handle um, and uh, not screw up. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so, you know, I had fun doing those parts. Uh, I do get to, I'm probably not supposed to say this, but it's already aired, so I think it's okay. I did get to play a Stormtrooper a couple times on uh, Rebels. Oh, yeah. a line or two. I think it was in one um, of the Sabine shorts that were released. Yeah. Um, 
so I, I got to be the stormtrooper commander there, and I think I had two or three lines at most, probably just two. Um, Still awesome. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just fun to be to, to just be able to say, I, I've been a stormtrooper. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and, you know, Filoni was also a stormtrooper, and we tried to get Simon to be a stormtrooper too, but he wouldn't. Into it, <laughs> but Bologna and I both played stormtroopers, and it was fun. Um, you know, we waited till the whole cast was gone, <laughs> and then the two of us went into the together, went into the uh, booth, and did the stormtrooper lines really quick. And, and okay. Did a decent enough job that we didn't need to get rid of them later. So, um, well, uh, before we wrap the thing up, is, I was an actor in high school and college. I did a lot of acting in high school and college. In high school, I actually thought I was good. <laughs> I got to college, and I was actually acting alongside some pretty incredible actors, including Andre Brower. I went to college oh, uh, with Andre, and uh, he was a year older than me, but, you know, even then. I mean, we were in Hamlet together, Andre and I. Andre played wow. Hamlet. I had five I had five parts, and he only had one. So, really, who was more important in that play? <laughs> right. Um, uh, so... In college, I realized that I wasn't really very good because I just was suddenly seeing what a really good actor was as opposed to just seeing it on television or something or movies where you sort of take it for granted kind of thing. Mm. But, you know, seeing the work of it in person and realizing the difference and the different level of commitment that um, a guy like Andre had to his craft than I did. Now, I have that little level of commitment in my writing. But I didn't have that in acting, and um, but I always enjoyed it. So when given the opportunity, I will, which means basically when I'm in charge, <laughs> I will take a small part that I think I can handle because it is a lot of fun for me. But I don't <laughs> want to pretend that I'm any great shakes at it. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, before we wrap up here, Greg, is there anything you'd like to plug or recommend for the people to check out? Well, I did um, plug my books already, so that's covered. Obviously, uh, Star Wars Rebels comes out this fall, um, and I definitely want to plug that uh, as well. Um, but, uh, you know, in that, and that pretty well covers my stuff. Um, but uh, so I'll, you know, just at random, uh, you know, my son and I uh, just finished watching Avatar The Last Airbender, he'd seen it all already, um, but I had not. So he rewatched it with me, and we're about to start watching Korra. I haven't nice. seen Korra at all yet, um, but I thought Avatar was just terrific, um, just great stuff. Um, didn't get to watch it when it was originally out, but we watched it over the summer, and, um, and it was really great. Um, so I'd recommend that. And then I'm also watching a lot of MeTV, which I don't know if you have in your town, but this is a, a network that shows a ton of old TV shows. So I'm like watching the Andy Griffith show and Taxi and Cheers and uh, the occasional Ironside um, and Perry Mason and stuff like that. And I just totally love MeTV. <laughs> so... <laughs> Because I love these old shows. Um, not everything that they air, but a lot of their shows, they're picking out good stuff. For sure. Yeah, well, we, we want to thank you so much uh, again for coming on uh, to the podcast. Thanks for, and thanks for having patience. I know scheduling this became a pain in the butt, but I, but I appreciate you guys uh, sticking with it because it's been fun. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I, we know you're a busy man. Uh, we, We'd love to have you on again sometime if you ever want to come on. And yeah, thank sure. you, thank you again for coming on. We really do appreciate it, man. Thank you, Greg. Thanks. And have a good rest of your your Friday, sir. You too. Thanks. Okay, guys, uh, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Mr. Greg Wiseman. We know we enjoyed talking to the the legend himself. It was pretty <laughs> great. 
Uh, so, guys, don't forget you can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Mark Vibbert, M-A-R-C-V-I-B-B-E-R-T. And I'm Tom Fons, at Tom Fons, T-O-M-F-O-N-S-S. Or you can also follow our show at Animated Podcast. Uh, feel free to email us at animationfascinationpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our site, animationfascination.wordpress.com. Find all the, the latest news going up there all the time from Stanford and Jessica. Uh, and you guys can also like us on Facebook just by searching for Animation Fascination. Join the over 800 people that have already done that. So I'm Mark Hibbert for myself, Tom Fons, and our guest, Greg Wiseman. Thank you guys for listening. And make sure to tune in again next time. Thanks, guys. Later. All righty, Mark. Right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Later, Tom. All right. Bye. disappeared for skype uh i'm still in skype right yeah i can hear you yeah but no i can't do anything because it's where the hell did it go oh computers all right i'll be back again yeah sure it looks like it's on itunes to buy oh really but i don't know if that's a censored version i've I've seen that there's like a censored version of it a censored version they took out some new skags huh and they took out like a thing where like he daffy gave six packs of beer to people that bought cars oh yeah i remember that yeah (laughs) well i saw the uncensored version too yeah because i definitely remember that he's like trying to sell some trinket or something on the street yeah and he he gives people yeah he gives people beer yeah (laughs) might not have any bloopers for this episode (laughs) now that i said that now we will i'll just include that as a blooper (laughs) hmm